When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with tech support, Alex Brandt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> co-host Catherine Brandt at last. And Andy Brandt-Bernard. We'll be right back. Kick things off. Rick Prada will be our special guest. His book, Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. Ooh. Rick Prado, our guest up next with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tommy, I never believed it until now, but apparently you're a pretty big deal. Was there ever a question in your mind? Well, you might say I was a doubting Thomas. See what I did there? Yes, how incredibly clever. Anyway, what's your point? Well, last month I was trying to find you a car to replace the Mafia Mobile and suggested leasing a Nissan Altima as it was impossible to find your first choice. I love that Altima, and I'm actually looking forward to checking out the all-wheel drive as soon as it's known. Well, apparently someone at Nissan was listening to us, and at this month, at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan, we can offer short-term 18-month leases. That's actually pretty smart. By then, the chip shortage will be over, right? Man, I hope so. The only chip shortage I want to hear about is Bilski dumping one into the bunker. (laughs) By the way, for the first time ever, Coon Rapids Nissan was number one in the state, and Burnsville was number two. Your Altima was actually one of the cars that put J-Lo on top. To learn more about short-term leasing, stop into Burnsville Nissan or Coon Rapids Nissan. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Alex, just let me know when Mr. Prado's ready to he go. Is, he's on. He's, he's on. Ready, Marvelous. The book, Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior, a memoir by the highest-ranking covert warrior to lift the veil of secrecy and offer a glimpse into the shadow wars 
that America has fought since the Vietnam era. And Enrique Rick Prado, how you doing, Rick? You damn right. Great, Tom. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Could we get uh, turn him up just yeah, a little I'm bit? Turn him up. Yeah. Thank you, my dear. How's that? That's my daughter. I'm calling my dear, by the way, Rick. I wanted to make sure you understood that. <laughs> it's a family deal. My I wife. My daughter, dear, too. So yeah. Yeah, there you go. Our son, my wife, our son, our daughter, and I do the show together. Love doing it. That's why it's called the Family Podcast. I cannot wait to just sit back and listen to what you have to say. My God, it's just, I don't know if you remember Vince Flynn, the author. He wrote, God, about 10, 12, 15 bestsellers. Vince was a very, very good friend. Unfortunately, lost him at a very young age. And he's the one that got me all worked up about black ops. It's his fault, Rick. I just want to tell you. Well, you know, I, I actually got to meet him. Um, he was very close to a friend of mine uh, uh, from the agency who actually helped him a lot with, with his books. And yeah. uh, we had lunch together at Blackwater some years ago. And, yes, I know that he uh, passed away a few years back. Uh, hell of a nice guy. I really had a pleasure of meeting, you and, and meeting him, and I had read several of his books. Yeah, great guy. Really, really nice man. Although, uh, one thing before I move on, Rick, I will tell you, he always put his friends' names in his books. And when he got around to my, my, my full name is Tom Barnard, and we have a friend, a, a pair of friends named Tino and Michelle Lettieri. They're very close friends. So when I got to appear in one of his books, my name was Michelle Bernard. Not Michelle as in Michael, but Michelle as a, he, he, he made me a woman in his book. What's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. It's a compliment. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> well, I, uh, I enjoyed his uh, books, even though that they were fiction. Yeah. Yep. And the one thing that I can uh, guarantee you that uh, what you will read in Black Ops will be real CIA operations done by real CIA operatives. You know, the impetus for me writing the book was how my, my agency is maligned. We're always described as immoral, treacherous, maniacal assassins like Jason Bourne with 15 personalities. <laughs> uh, and, and nothing could be further from the truth. Right. You know, the, my, my agency colleagues have put their lives on the line for a very ungrateful mistress that you cannot even advertise your successes. So we have 137 stars on the CIA wall of people who had given their lives up for God and country. And to... To, to honor them in their in their just you know recognition is what I, I try to do with this book. So it, it is, and I so people can see the different operations that I did and some of my colleagues did, and how we really work. Very exciting. There's gunplay. There's accidents. There's you know rescues in in, in, in uh, enemy's waters. All that stuff is in there. Uh, and by the way, my book is fully cleared by the CIA. It took them six months of uh, scrutiny. And, and uh, I am pleasantly surprised about what they allowed me to talk about. And I think that part of that was because they understood my purpose for writing the book. Oh, I understand it completely. I, I have to read this one paragraph to the listeners, Rick, because it's, it's pretty amazing. Enrique Prado found himself in his first firefight at age seven the son of a middle-class Cuban family caught in the midst of the Castro Revolution. His family fled their war-torn home for the hope of a better life in America. Fifty years later, the Cuban refugee retired from the Central Intelligence Agency as the CIA equivalent of a two-star general. Black Ops is the story of Rick's legendary career that spanned two eras, the Cold War and the age of terrorism. 
Operating in the shadows, Rick and his fellow CIA officers fought a little scene in virtually unknown war to keep USA safe from those who would do it harm. I will tell you, uh, Mr. Prado, uh, Catherine and I went to Cuba, what was that, about four years ago, Catherine? Yep. Went to Cuba four years ago, could not have been a better time. The people could not have been friendlier. Very, very nice. They like to eat chicken. I did notice that, Rick. They like they eat a lot of chicken it's in Cuba. It's one of the only proteins they get. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is exactly, you are exactly right. That is exactly right. Yeah. But we loved it. We yeah, absolutely they, they, loved they, it. They, the, we, the Cuban people have a, uh, a very uh, good attitude in spite of the misery mm-hmm. that they live in. You know, um, yes, I was seven years old when the revolution first hit my town. And my, ta- my town was hit three times because we were at the foothills of uh, the uh, mountains where Che Guevara was in. Mm. And, you know, seeing what they did to my parents, what they did to, uh, to the opposition, uh, of people hanging from trees, yeah. um, it, it, was, it was something that, uh, uh, that, that was the seed planted for me to fight terror, uh, to, uh, communism. Uh, in five different incarnations. So, you know, I could ask you, Mr. Prado, a question because we're talking about uh, Cuba now. Um, we're looking a lot, uh, very closely at Russia, and yet you have all these Americans, uh, mostly college students, that think communism is just a wonderful thing. Why don't they pay attention and realize communism just does not work for the people? That is one of my greatest pet peeves, and, and, and I always tell people that. Socialism is the mask that communism wears to yep. lure you into their trap. <laughs> and, the, and the promise is the promise of everybody will be equal. And they're, they're right. Everybody is equally miserable, equally oppressed, equally abused. Yep. And only the leaders get to have uh, you know, the, uh, the, the benefits. There, there's, a, there's a joke in Cuba that if you see a house with a fresh coat of paint, that's a senior party member. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got that right. There's no paint on most of the buildings. People need to understand that. Unfortunately, the architecture is absolutely beautiful, but it's not being taken care of at all. No, there's no Home Depots down there. <laughs> That's true. There's no Home Depot. No. That's kind of sad, though, because the architecture, Rick, is gorgeous, uh, but they they just they don't care. As I recall, I, it's funny. I remember a lot of it. Yes, yes, yes. So is that what drove you just watching? Is I mean, so the, 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 go ahead, sir. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that it was uh, you know seeing what I saw as a, uh, in my early age, you know, the, the violence of war, um, the excitement of, of seeing things as a little kid to you as a TV show, you know. Right. Um, but then you know, coming to this country, uh, I came to the United States by myself because my parents at first could not get out, and I ended up Ooh. in an orphanage. In Pueblo, Colorado, I turned 11 in the orphanage. You know, the orphanage uh, was very strict, and there was a lot of fighting, and there was a, a multitude of cultures in there. Uh, um, and it was a pretty hard eight months, but I think I came out the better for it because I was very independent. I learned a, a lot of English for just eight months. And the, I think the combination of those two events uh, really steeled me forged my medal, for lack of a better word, to prepare me for what my path was was to be and, 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 and that I took on with, with honor. Uh, I went into uh, Air Force pararescue uh, and when I was 20 years old. Uh, pararescue is one of the elite units in our Special Operations Forces uh, community. And I did a few years with them and 
tried to get into the CIA once or twice, and the second time they called me. And as lucky as I'm always as um, have been, they called me because the Sandinista regime had turned communist, and Reagan had said, well, I want a covert action program. And so I was a native Spanish guy that could go to the camps and not show, you know, no show at the American hand. I was there as a Honduran major. And that the, the incredible part about that experience was because I saw what that octopus that's called communism did to my first country and to my family. Mm-hmm. And now, at, at the age of 30, I, I am helping fight that, 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 uh, that octopus. And as a matter of fact, there's three really sexy operations during that time where I was very <coughs> proud of the fact that some of the tentacles were cut, cut off. So, uh, and, you know, the rewarding part of it, besides the successes, was the people. I would sit every night, grab a cup of coffee, and sit down with different contras. And men and, men and women, they, were, they had women in the fighting also. And every time I would ask them, why are you here? Tom, not once did anybody say, well, you know, I read Marx and Lenin, and I don't agree with that philosophy. No. <laughs> right. It was, they raped my daughter. They beat up my priest. Oh. They uh, forcibly conscripted my 15-year-old son. It was all personal, and it was all personal for me also, because I was too young to fight it the first time around, uh, and that was my first incarnation. I, like I said, I've done, I have had assignments for two years each time, five different times uh, going after after communism. Yeah, Rick, it's so amazing because if, if people go down to Cuba, and meet the Cuban people. They could not be friendlier, yet there's a, a certain understanding. You also don't want to cause much trouble in Cuba. They're very, very strong people, very loyal people. Uh, and again, they're incredibly friendly, but you got a tough side to you. Cubans have a tough side to you that I just really admire. Well, thank you. That's a compliment, hell of a compliment. Thank you, Tom. Well, it is true. I mean, it's just... Oh, one other thing I, I got to mention. I'm a, I, I unfortunately have that. You have what? I said, unfortunately, I, I I have never I haven't been back to Cuba, and definitely with my career, I, I certainly cannot go back because they know who I am, no. <laughs> especially now, and, yeah. um, and and they would def- definitely have vendettas to to settle. So um, as much as I would love to go back and see my first house and where my dad's horses were and and everything else. Um, uh, it will have to wait a few years. I hope that there, there's a, a real change over there, not the cosmetic ones they've been having for 60 years. No, that would be nice. If you ever do get to go back, make sure you go to the Tropicana. you got to go to the Tropicana, Rick. I'm just telling you. It's well worth it. Well, here, here's, here's one for you. They, they, one of the photographs in the book, it was my parents took me to the Tropicana for the last oh, night that God. I was in Cuba. Really? The next morning I was put on a plane, and this. Yeah, and there's a photo. It's me, uh, my parents, my aunt and uncle, and my cousin. And we're sitting there, and, and I'm the only idiot smiling. Everybody's got these somber faces. <laughs> and I'm I'm smiling. It's just I still can't figure that one out. But, yeah, I, I would love to go to, uh, to back to the Tropicana and reconcile enough in a, in a kid's mind, you know, uh, what, it, what it's like now. Yeah. And, uh, Rick, you've been carrying that with you now for, for all these years. Because seven-year-olds have, have developed enough that they understand what's going on. You, as a seven-year-old, knew what was happening. You knew it was time to go. Yeah, you were youthful. You go to the Tropicana. You're having a great time. But, but you still knew what was happening. And looking back on that, you've had 
well, at least two lives at this point. And it made you a very tough guy, don't you think? I think it still did. I think that it gave me the ability to uh, to work under pressure. Uh, and and But the, what it really gave me, Tom, the, the thing that it gave me the most was purpose. Right. You know, in, in my business, if you don't have a purpose, you will not do well. Because you really, really have to believe that what you're doing is for God and country. Uh, what you know, what we put our families through, the the secrecy of our, you know, be working in, in all these places. My wife didn't know what I was doing. She knew that I worked for the agency. She knew I was doing maybe terrorism or counterinsurgency or whatever it was. But the details of what I did day to day, especially night to night, because most of our work is done after after hours. Um, my wife, my wife won't hear about what I did when she reads the book. Really? So she'll know for the first time? Yes, sir, and so will my kids. God, that's what an amazing story. The book, again, is called Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior, Rick Prado, P-R-A-D-O. The author is on with us. Uh, I have to read another second. I tell you what, the descriptor that was sent along with your book is a terrific uh, descriptor. After duty stations in Central South America and the Philippines, Black Ops follows Rick into the highest echelons of the CIA's headquarters at Langley, Virginia. In the late 1995, in late 1995, he became deputy chief station and co-founding member of the Bin Laden task force. How was man, Rick? You got you got a lot of stuff under your belt, pal. Well, there, there, there's more even that, but you know that one. That I'm very proud of that. Um, I was a branch chief in our counterterrorism center, and um, the uh, the chief of operations called me in. He said, look, we, we're going to start a task force. We're going to call it a virtual station. So it's going to have a chief of station and a deputy chief of station. The deputy is going to be Mike Shorty, who was an analyst. He was not an ops guy. And I was the de- deputy chief of station. And I looked at, uh, at my, my then boss, Jeff. I said, uh, so, Jeff, so we, who are we after? He goes, Osama bin Laden. And I go, who? <laughs> And he goes, exactly. So uh, that was the seed. I mean, you figure it was, there was two operations officers. I had an Arabic-speaking uh, case officer uh, working with me who was super, super sharp. And then we had uh, uh, several analysts. We had about eight or nine analysts, uh, seven of which were women. Uh, they're very good at this targeting stuff and because they have the patience and they have the, the depth and the intellect, I guess. But um, that those are the plank owners, and you know, sadly, there's 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 people from that e- era that are on that wall with 137 stars in my building. Uh, Jennifer Matthews, uh, who was killed in cost in, in uh, Afghanistan, um, was was a, was uh, she joined us very very early on, and you know, we lost her out there. We've, we've lost uh, a lot of people out of the 137 stars that we have on our wall, one-third of them are post-9-11. A third of them are, really? We are a small Yes, a third of those 137 are post-9-11. How many do you know? Very few people know. And that's what I wanted to... I I want their their spirit to to be honored by the people that benefit from it um, because they pay the ultimate price. They did indeed. You know, I don't even want to ask you how many times, but I got to believe that you have, you know, looked death in the face many, many times, whether it was sneaking up on you or it was right there in front of you. I mean, it's obviously quite a dangerous job. How, how do you handle the danger part of it? 
Well, and I would tell you sometimes it's been going in towards the, the danger because that's that's pretty much what we have to do. Right, right. Uh, again, yes, you know, I think that we all wired a certain way, uh, and 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 God wanted us to do whatever it was He wired us for, and, and uh, but I honestly think that having a purpose—that's you know, for for me, having a purpose for going into harm's way completely blocked. The, 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 uh, the guilt of, well, if I get killed, my kids are going to be... No, if I get killed, my, my kids would be proud of what I was trying to do because I was trying to do it for them and the rest of the kids in the United States. So, you know, and, and the beauty of the book, Tom, is, is that it's not just about me. I include a lot of stories from some of my colleagues, uh, two women in particular who I adore because they were just incredible in their own ways. Um, it is that I was surrounded by the most patriotic, professional, dedicated, selfless people that I've ever met in my life. And like I said, I was part of the special military for, for several years, and I still have great friends from there, but the quality of officers at the agency deserve a little better than being tagged Jason Boyd. Yeah, well, yeah, they're trying to sell tickets there, aren't they, Rick? That's all that's about, exactly. is selling, selling those tickets. Um I tell you, I just I have so many questions for you about all of these things. Uh, when okay, so you're seven years old, then you're eleven. You're in Colorado. At what point did you realize this? It's not just something I'm interested in. It's not just something as a child. I thought, well, that'd be kind of cool to to go into the uh, to service and do this. And when did you know this is me? This is what I got to do, and this is what I'm going to do. Well, you know, you, you hit it right on the nose, and I have the perfect uh, uh, episode for that. Um, I, growing up, because, again, I was adventuristic and a little uh, high-spirited and, you know, testosterone-laden sure. teenager, <laughs> yeah. um, I, got really good, I got good grades in school, but I was always getting into fights and stuff like that and, and getting in trouble because of it. And when I started college in Miami, was, I think it was early... 71 or real late 70, um, the hippies were going to take down the American flag the next day. They posted it. Tomorrow we're going to take down the flag and we're going to burn it. And I said, the hell we are. (laughs) So I called five of my homies from the old days, and it was 20 20 hippies more or less, six of us. Trust me, it was not a fair fight for them. And um, within minutes, there were torn T-shirts and beads all over the place. But that American flag was waving in the air in a blue sky early in the year. It took my breath away because for the first time in my life, I was proud of using my courage and my fortitude and a little bit of my violence for the right reasons. It gave me purpose. Six months later, I was in pararescue. God, what a, that's a good, another great... Rick, this book has got to be fantastic. Your story's just on this show are right on the money. I, I just, so basically you're saying there was tie-dye and beads everywhere, huh? Yeah, there was a, yeah, tie-dye t-shirts torn and beads <laughs> everywhere and uh, people running in different directions but not towards anymore. I, I, it still amazes me that <clears throat> and somebody who was born in Cuba leaves at seven, uh, you know, at, at a young age, you love the flag more than they do, and they have no right whatsoever to not like the flag. Will people ever figure that out, you think, Rick? They have no business turning on their own country. They don't even know what they're talking about. You're absolutely right, and I have a theory about that. It is that 
they, we in the United States, do not know how good we really have it. Right. We have nothing to compare it to. You, you know, the, the average American, when they say, oh, I've been to Mexico, I said, no, you've been to Cancun, in the cruise, <laughs> but it's not Mexico. Right. You know, um, and, and so they, they have nothing to compare it with. The, the immigrants that come legally to this country, uh, especially those that are, that are fleeing communism and terrorism and those kind of isms, um, those, those people come here and all of a sudden they can breathe. Their children can go to school. Nobody's going to take away your business. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're free to speak your mind, to practice your religion. And we take all that for granted, and it drives many of us insane because it's, it's, you see it day in and day out, people bad-mouthing this country without really knowing. You know, I don't have a problem. If you want to be a communist, that's fine. Go to Cuba. Go to Russia. If you're, if you're a communist in Russia, more power to you. Yep. But don't try to be a communist in the United States. Couldn't agree more. i got to take a quick break. About two minutes, Rick. you got another ten minutes, didn't you? Unfortunately, he has a hard out. Oh, you have okay. a hard out? 11.50. Oh, 11.50. Okay, we'll go three more minutes then, Rick, because it, it, it says on my deal noon, but we'll, if you got to be up I by 11.50. I just heard from Art. Okay, that, that's fine, Rick. We can go three more minutes if you can. Would that be all right? I'm just having a great time talking to you because I, you and I, and so far, well, I shouldn't say you and I, I agree with you on pretty much everything you've said so far. Uh, I will tell you, Rick, very quickly, I grew up very, very poor in an inner city neighborhood, and I, I got out of there, got an education, uh, you know, started working hard. I've had a wonderful life, got a great family that I work with every day. I'm sorry, but America's wonderful to me. I love America. I don't want to live anywhere else. Why some people just and the, what I love are the people out that live out there in the rich suburbs that don't like America. It's like what? Oh, Art says you're good till noon now. Oh, could you, Rick? You can stay till noon. That'd be okay with you, Rick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, excellent. Problem. Let's take a very quick break. Then we'll be right back. Uh, got another ten minutes with Rick Prado. The book is called Black Ops: The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. Right back with Rick Prado right after this. Tom Bernard talking with Brad Huckle and Michael Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked a few times over the years about how North American Banking Company has helped local businesses when they're ready for expansion. We love talking about the success of our customers. One example is suburban manufacturing in Monticello. They create innovative products that produce clean, dry air that is needed during the manufacturing process. We recently helped them expand their business. Moving into a new building gave them the space they needed to add new equipment and production lines. We were able to step in quickly and provide the financing they needed when they needed it. When we help businesses like Suburban Manufacturing with their expansion, it's beneficial for our customers, but their growth also creates new jobs in our community. So they make stuff that produces clean, dry air for manufacturing after working with Bilski. Do they breathe easier with their business belt? We certainly hope so, Tommy, and that's no hot air. Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25,000-square-foot heated showroom at Dan Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Over 60 boats on display from Premier. Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Explore what's new for 2022 at the Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine. Six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Visit BloomingtonBoatShow.com. 
You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Rick Prado, our very, very special guest. Great guest, as a matter of fact. Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. It's available on Amazon and everywhere, as a matter of fact. A memoir by the highest-ranking covert warrior to lift the veil of secrecy and offer a glimpse into the shadow wars that America has fought since the Vietnam era. Have we ever been out of war, Rick? Has it ever happened we've had nothing going on in the world? No, I mean, I think that uh, the, the moments of peace um, are, are more from the civilians' view, um, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. Um, we in the agency and our special military and other intelligence agencies within our, our government, the, the, the community, um, our fight is a daily fight. Um, you know, before, before the contrast of between Vietnam and the, the Sandinista revolution that we, that we toppled, because that was a very successful program, uh, lasted several years. But during that time, there was no declared war per se, but the Cold War was flaming hot, and we were working the Russians or working the Chinese and the Czechs and whatever was out there. So, you know, for, for the folks that are at the pointy end of taking care of the country, um, peace is when you go home to your family. Yeah. Uh, when you walk into your church and say prayer, um, because your your job is is to fight the good fight, uh, like Pablo Coelho, one of my favorite doctors, um, fighting the good fight is what a warrior of the light does, and that's what I would like to consider ourselves. And that is again the reason that I that I wrote the book was to give credit to those that that, that deserve that. You know, another commonality when you when you were talking a little while ago, when you talking about how poor you grew, you you uh, grew up and, mm-hmm. and and how what you made. Um, when we came to the United States, when, when Castro took over in 1959, my dad was a middle-class businessman, had a, a, a coffee-roasting company, a little oh. coffee-roasting company, which was confiscated almost immediately. And we had, my dad had a 57 Pontiac. Oh. We had a TV and a telephone in our house. And that was middle-class. Oh, yeah. When we came to the United States for the first time, three to four years, we were definitely uh, under the poverty line. My mom worked in a sweatshop for over a decade. My dad never had less than two jobs. Worked every Saturday that I can remember because he used to take me with him on Saturdays. So um, it's called the American dream. You pay the price of admission. You work hard. This country allows you to do that. And when you get things handed to you, so easily, so easily, then you don't appreciate. Yeah, you that's do not right. appreciate something unless you earn it. Usually, earned it the hard way. You're 100 percent right. By the way, you just gave me a great memory. We uh, when we were in Cuba, it was Catherine's birthday, so we took her. That's when we took her to. Uh, I don't remember where we went that night. Did we go to Tropicana that night for your birthday? I don't know. But we were picked up. The reason I'm even bringing this up, Rick, is because we were picked up in a 1955 Pontiac convertible. My God, was that fun! The car, the cars down there are just amazing, Rick. 
you, but you know what's even more amazing, though, is that uh, there was a program, uh, I think it was called Trading Chrome or something, a few years back, where they talked about all that. They spent, like, six episodes just on going to Cuba. Is Those cars are, are in great shape on the outside. They look like yeah. what they are. <laughs> but the inside, they have put engines and a lot of engines. And yeah. th- there was one in, uh, incident where the guy had this Oldsmobile, and, and uh, he had a boat engine that he had converted um, somehow, that, that ingenuity, and, and that's what he drove around town. Yeah. Oh, God. It's just, it's just wonderful driving down the highway in a 1955 Pontiac convertible with my lovely wife going to the Tropicana. Just great <laughs> memories, Rick. I'm telling you, they were great memories for me. There's no doubt about that. Yep. Are we doing? Well, I, I hope that you could do it again under a different regime. Yeah, yes, I'd we'll, love that. I'll do it with you. We'll all go down together. That sounds good. Works for me. Um, That's Rick, it's it's pretty amazing that your parents, the job they did. Uh, do you have brothers and sisters, by the way? No, I'm an only child, and, and you know that's an excellent point to bring out, Tom. Because thanks, my dad had a seventh grade education, and but he had a heart of a lion. And he was a pretty smart guy. When he saw what was happening, he said, I will not have my son, my only child, grow up in, in, a, in this kind of regime. And because he couldn't get out, they put me on an airplane when I was 10 years old to go to the United States. You know, when my oldest son turned 10, I looked at my wife and I said, do you think that I would have the fortitude to put Alex <laughs> on an airplane to go to a country that I never have visited, that I don't speak the language, and that there's a very good chance that I will never be able to reunite with him? Uh, and the answer is the surrounding hell no. Yeah. <laughs> right. But my parents did that. In a program called Peter Pan, which was by the mm-hmm. Catholic Church, mm-hmm. brought out 4,000 Rick Crotters during wow. a two-year period. That's amazing. It is quite the story. I, you have to be so proud of your parents. You got to be proud of yourself too, though. You, I mean, you you did it uh, coming here by yourself. Boy, that had to, that'd be terrifying at first, wasn't it, Rick? No, no. Uh, really? You know, my dad brought me up to be the little man, and and okay. uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that I have some bad nights uh, at the orphanage because you sit there in bed and you know you're there for now for the third month, and yeah. there's other kids crying in bed. And uh, you, know, you get a little bit depressed and stuff. But, you know, my, my dad was a man of such incredible character. My dad was actually a cowboy before he married my mom. Oh. And he was the, the typical American cowboy, even though he was Cuban, you know. Um, he he taught me from very early, ride horses, shoot guns, the defend yourself, stand up for your, for your faith, uh, stand up for your, your country. Uh, my dad molded me early on. But, you know, you said about me being proud about myself. No, I, I, not, I'm not uh, ashamed of my, of my life, on the contrary. But, you know, I feel blessed because I was able to pay back a little bit. I've been doing this for 50 years, and I still don't think that I've paid this country back enough. And you have children, so you know that we tend to gauge our successes by that of our offspring. And I have three kids, a daughter who runs two charter schools, and two sons who are advancing in the U.S. military. Jeez. Um, that's my real success. 
That is a wonderful story. Rick, we're, we're lining this up. Soon as Cuba flips, <laughs> we're going to be riding around in a 55 Oldsmobile convertible in Cuba, having a great time. We'll, we'll take the families. It'll be wonderful. You got yourself. You're a good man, Rick. Thank you so much for your service. It, it's an honor talking to you, sir. But thank seriously, you very much. thank you, Rick. Have a good day. Bye. Have a good day. Rick Prado, ladies and gentlemen, P-R-A-D-O. The book is called Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. I, I love having people like him on because I this whole thing with, with Americans, well, and it's not just Americans, a lot of places in the world, but America's where I live. So, you know, oh, America sucks, it's terrible, everybody's terrible, and everybody hates everybody else, and everybody, no, it's nowhere well, near as bad as most places. Well, in the last month, <clears throat> I've talked to two um, Hispanic people that have moved here, immigrated here, and both of them said... Well, what, I'm not going to say what countries. I'm not going to say their names because I don't want anybody to get in right. trouble anyway. Sure. Um, one of them, I said, I'm, I'm learning to speak Spanish. He said, why? I said, well, because <laughs> I think you need it, especially in Florida. There's so many Spanish-speaking speak, people. And he says, he says, what do you, what do you well, well, still, I don't understand why. And I said, well, I think in another, you know, 15 years, probably that's going to be the dominant um, language in Florida. And he said, oh. If that happens, I'm moving out of this country. I said, "Why?" <laughs> he said, "Because I do not want to live in a in a in a Hispanic country." I said, "Well, what do you mean you're Hispanic?" He said, "Because I don't I don't want the corruption from my old country." I said, "What?" I said, "What happened?" He said, "Oh, in my old country, if somebody wants you dead, you're just dead. The politicians have all the power." They just kill you. They don't like something you say. They just kill you. There's nothing you can do. And he said, I'm not kidding. I'm not being dramatic. That's how it is. And another person that came from a different country said the exact same thing. He said, it's just so corrupt. You have to pay off everybody to get anything done. Everything is about the politicians getting paid off. I mean, if people need to like trap actually talk to people that come from these situations to see what it's actually like when the politicians have all the power they don't become wonderful gift-bearing sweet people they become power-hungry maniacs and we're headed that way we really are you know when he's talking about people fleeing cuba i'm like people are leaving states in america new york People are actually leaving states because yeah, nobody can come to a common ground. We're, we're preaching and teaching division and hatred of each other. It's not a good thing. No, it is not at all. There's no question about that. It was so, it's so great. So this kid comes, seven years old. He's in, a, in a, an outfit over there in Colorado, 11 years old. This is a guy who's inspired by the love of his family and and apparently an instant love of this country to step up and serve, and he's been serving his whole life. And I love the fact that he pointed out, you know, pretty much exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And by the way, I know that one person you were talking was from Peru, right? Yep. I knew it. I've heard him talk about it before. He just said, there is no way I'd ever go live it. Yeah, I mean, because you, but you still have to be careful because people that still live there, family members that still live there, somebody gets wind of somebody said something against, I'm, you know, you could be innocently talking about somebody and get someone killed. It's just terrifying. It is. No, you're absolutely right. I just, 
I don't know. I was very, very impressed with that, and thanks to Art Sears for that because Art uh, does a great job lining up guests. There's no question about that. But he uh, he was terrific. I, I yeah, see. I, I just that. love hearing that. And I know there there are things to criticize about the president's address last night, but I just like the fact that he at least moved toward the center. Now he was told to move toward the center, which is okay with me. But we need to move to the center. Enough of this extreme left and extreme right crap. I'm sick to death well, of it. That's what he said he was going to be when he ran. <clears throat> yeah, he did. And then as soon as he got elected, he went way left and deleted everything that Trump did that now he's saying that we need to do. No, I know. <laughs> I just I just want to tear my hair out with politicians. I really well, do. Well, you guys have lived through it. I've been I they've been trying to cancel me twice now. They did destroy my voiceover career, yep. and that was basically the TV stations and the newspapers in the state of Minnesota that did that. Uh, destroyed my voiceover career, and now there's a group of woke people trying to destroy my radio career. They just and part of that it's is a the fun fact, time to be alive. Well, I'm just saying part of that is because I grew up very, very poor. I never finished high school. I went to college for one day, and I still succeeded. And they do not like that at all. I'm a horrible example well, for the children of America. If you can't advance their agenda, then you're useless to them. <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm a, and again, I'm a terrible example to their children because I didn't do any of the things they said you have to do to succeed. None of them. They don't like that. I don't like that at all. What do you think of that, Andy? Uh, I think you're right. <laughs> I mean, I've spoken many times against those kind of people. No, you have. No, I know you. Well, that's why I asked you. I asked you to speak on it because you've talked about the cancel crowd anyway, mm-hmm. and why I, I don't understand how you can be either uh, far right or far left because you're supposed to be very, very woke on, to, on the on the left and very kind of religious. It's not really religious, but kind of religious ethics on the right and yet those are the people that destroy everybody else so what am i missing here you're supposed to be the best at it not the worst at it you two sides far left and far right you're the worst people in america how how do you think that you have all the answers when you're a terrible human being what do you think I don't think they do think they have the answers. I think they just want to exert power over others so that it's a power issue more than anything else yep I mean, it's no coincidence that most of the people who are super far left, super woke, super progressive right now, 20, 30 years ago, they were the ones who were on the opposite side. It's because that was the most effective way to bully people back then. Yeah, true. And now being progressive is the most effective way to bully people right now. So they just uh, pretend to believe whatever is most convenient so that they can hurt other people, basically. That's true. Alex, what do you think of all this? It's hard to just have one opinion. I don't know. What do you mean, have one opinion? You can have your opinion. I pass. Oh, God, you coward. Coward Alex. That's me. Maybe she just disagrees <laughs> with you and doesn't want you to know it. I, it has nothing to do with agreeing or disagreeing. She loves ta- canceling people. I'm talking about... I love about, canceling people. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've never seen you do it, but I'm sure you're really good at it. But, Constantly uh, canceling people. Yeah, I just just leave people alone is all... I, you know, unless they're the bad... Here's what I like. You bust your ass, but we're going to cancel you. But somebody who goes down the street shooting people, we're going to protect them and uh, just release them from custody without bail. The horrible people are being treated very well, and the good people are being treated very poorly. Is that is that a digital thing? What is that? Is just is that just stupidity? What do you think? 
I think it's the, how humans are. Yeah. Have they always been? Humans are just, you know, fundamentally evil. <laughs> <laughs> humans are that's fundamentally not. evil. Well, that's pretty much what every religion in the history of the world has taught. Humans are evil, and you have to temper your evilness. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's I mean, true. it's not untrue, honestly. If you just... Uh, well, we are animals. Yeah, exactly. If you took a newborn and put them in the jungle and had them somehow survive in the jungle, they're going to grow up to be very selfish, very, you know, they'll do no, anything to survive. they'll grow up to be friends with a friendly bear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's very yeah, realistic. And have realistic. a little friendly rivalry with they'll, a tiger. They'll understand yeah. the bear necessities. There will be a weird <laughs> snake that can put you in a trance. Winnie the Pooh I mean, snake. It's, it's tail as old as time, Andy. Yeah. Someday I do want to go to Cuba with, with you and Andy and your families. I, I would love to go back to Cuba with the kids, wouldn't you, Catherine? Uh, now, after seeing the poverty and the... yeah. Um, just how they live. I would lo- love to see it on an upswing. Yes. That would be good. Yes. That'd be nice. Yes. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov warned today that there uh, world uh, there were World War Three that were World War Three to begin. It would involve nuclear weapons. Reports Reuters a few days earlier, Vladimir Putin announced he was putting the nation's nuclear deterrent forces on high alert, right. suggesting he was transitioning the country's nukes to a higher level of readiness. So what are the chances we get to the point where Russia actually dips into its nuclear stockpile? It's a question that's been asked and debated in recent weeks. The stockpile itself, the BBC looks at what Russia has. Uh, 6,000 nuclear warheads. That's enough, isn't it? 6,000? Probably enough. I would imagine. Though roughly 1,500 have been retired and earmarked for disposal, the remaining 4,500 aren't ready for action. All of them, anyway. It's thought about 1,500 are deployed on a sub at sea, or at a oh, um, missile or bomb uh, bomber bases. Fabulous. Parsing's Putin words, as the uh, at the Guardian, Kristen Van Bruisgard uh, observes that despite what Putin said on Sunday, re- Russia's nuclear arsenal remains on a certain level of readiness even during peacetime, and the U.S. hasn't detected any signs that warheads are being moved. So if that little has changed, why did Putin signal a move was being made? Yeah, so why did he do that? Does anybody understand why he said, let's well, get ready? He's either I posturing. Think Wendy, Wendy might. He's either posturing or he's serious, one or the other. Why don't we take a break here and come back, and Wendy can certainly talk about that. That would be perfect. We'll have Wendy on the phone. Wendy's on the phone. Okay, we'll be right back in a couple of minutes with Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. 